Hello and welcome to Radio Contra Sons of Liberty live show. It is, of course, Thursday, 2100 Eastern Standard Time, and we are open for business here in the Green Dragon Tavern. Oh yeah, Ranger122 saying in the comments, oh yeah, it's Thursday, isn't it? You bet your sweet ass it is, and we are ready to rock and roll boy oh boy do we have a lot to talk about tonight in the title of the show no country for old guns edition because i popped in real quick checked the emails saw an email from somebody that i don't even know what it was it was linked to something that who cares throwaway stuff but it was a reference to no country for old men which is really one of the uh uh, one of the, I think one of the, the best movies that's been made uh, of my adult life, uh, during my adult life. And um, really, uh, I go back and, and I've probably seen that that film, I don't know, 40 times or so. If, if I've seen it once, I've seen it 40 times and, and just love it each time. And uh, th- there's a lot of takeaways from that. And I think that it just kind of, that title really spoke to me. And uh, no country for old guns because we've had a lot of discussion about 1911s over the past oh seven days or so, maybe a little bit longer, and it's uh, really kicked up quite the debate over on the forum uh, forum.brushfeeder.org, and some of that migrated over to AmericanPartisan.org as well. I'll put up a couple of videos from Bill Wilson, and I've got a couple little write-ups on my own that I've been kind of approaching the 1911 as a historical piece and really a modern relevance piece. And um, get a lot of questions, get a lot of answers, my thoughts on the topic, take it for what it's worth. Uh, But I am a big fan of the 1911, uh, have been for a really long time now. And we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking a lot of other things. We're going to be talking current events. And, of course, a quick shout-out to the show sponsors, of course, Civil Defense Manual, Jack Lawson's two-volume set. I wrote the communications chapter in it. You need that book, okay? You need that book. Do not waste time on that. Jack Lawson's good friend of mine, good friend of everybody on this podcast. And a very good friend and sometimes contributor to AmericanPartisan.org as well. Next on the list, Blacksmith Publishing, The Warriors Bookstore, Paul LeFevre, and Mike Blackburn. 
two special forces legends, very, very well known in that community, longtime instructors in the small unit tactics course of the special forces qualification course. Good friends of mine. I've had them on a podcast back in episode 97. I've been on their podcast, the Pinelander as well, talking about a broad variety of topics. Their bookstore, however, Blacksmith Publishing, they wrote the U.S. Army Special Forces Small Unit Tactics Handbook. I really don't think it needs any more bona fides than that. You need that book, okay? They got that one, but they got a heck of a lot of other real, real good titles that are every bit as on par with that one as that is, Okay, so definitely pick that up. And finally, last, certainly not least, frequent guest on Radio Contra and a good friend of mine up there in the great state of Michigan, Joe Dolio with Tactical Wisdom, the three-volume set, biblically-based, relevant tactics and preparedness for the everyday man out there. So definitely, definitely. And Tactical Wisdom, Joe Dolio, he just popped in to the live stream. What's up, brother? Yeah, sub-degenerates, we talking books. Damn right we are, brother. And I'm giving a shout-out to you. So tacticalwisdom.com, definitely check all of those links out. And give them a shout. Tell them the NC Scout sent you over there, Radio Contra, AmericanPartisan.org sent you over there i would very very much appreciate that and of course you're getting great knowledge at the same time tonight i am joined by two of my very esteemed colleagues my fellow deplorables mr jc dodge and johnny paratrooper jc dodge what's up brother same stuff different day Different day. Well, it's it's not the same stuff because your microphone sounds exponentially yeah. better. <laughs> yeah, uh, Dirk Nasty uh, helped me with that. <laughs> this will be the first time I get to try it out. Dirt Nasty, Dirt Nasty was like, "Look, man, he sent me an email. He's like, look, man, I'm fed up with this.'" I'm fed up with JC. I love JC's content. Love JC to death, but his audio level is killing me. And he also told me, he was like, I will totally get you another internet connection as well. And I was like, eh, that, that ain't really ain't going to do me nothing uh, where I live. That definitely ain't going to do much for me. But you can totally send him a microphone. Yeah, he did. It's uh, pretty squared away. I can definitely hear hear better on here too, and I know exactly where he's, where he's coming from because uh, I had listened to the last SOL we did, and uh, I was like, "Man, my IED ear can barely hear myself." So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, get that volume up, get it up a little bit, make things a little bit better. You sounding great tonight, though. Very, very professional setup. So, uh, big shout out to Dirt Nasty out there. Thank you, good sir. Um, definitely, definitely uh, big thanks on hooking Brother JC up. Johnny Paratrooper, what's up, man? 
Uh, what it do? We're talking about 1911s, man. I am stoked, man. I'm fucking we stoked, are. buddy. We are. It like last week. It was just like two hours went by, and it was it was just like, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> two hours went by, and we didn't even get to 1911s, man. This is this is a bizarre world. So definitely rectifying that problem for all you 1911 maniacs out there. We're going to be talking 1911 tonight for all you 1911 haters out there, which apparently is a large community of people that just absolutely think that the 1911 is the, the worst thing imaginable that you could ever wish to arm yourself with. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> we're going to be talking about that tactical wisdom in, in the comments. Uh-oh, FUD chat. Uh, yeah, man. You know, I mean, it, it is what it is. We're going to be, it's just what we're going to be doing, man. We're going to be doing it. Um, <laughs> bite the bullet. I know we're going to get some creative emails. Um, so, you know. It's uh, it's a blue squirrel in the comments saying I shoot 45, so I only have to shoot once. Oh, all the fun stuff. All the fun stuff is going to come out. It is going to come out tonight in this episode. I can feel it and I love it. All the hate. And see, this is going to be one of those episodes, man, where like we get the hate from the fuds. And we're gonna get the hate from like all the the tactical range bunnies too. Like it's it's gonna it's it's gonna all kind of like commingle and make like a hate tornado on us, you know. <laughs> ah, I can't wait! I can't wait, man. So before we jump into 1911s, though, before we jump into 1911s. How about some current events? Yes. 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 So, what what in the news, according to J.C. Dodge and, J- and Johnny Paratrooper, do we really, is of the utmost need of coverage from the Green Dragon Tavern tonight? Relationship with everything. Not everybody can go once. <laughs> can you hear me? <laughs> oh God! Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I said, George Soros. You know, I can't think of one redeeming value of the guy, physically or socially. <laughs> George Soros. George Soros. Ah, I don't know where to start. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's it's with him. It's it's some. It's not even a rabbit hole. It's a it's a major friggin' Viet Cong tunnel complex. Oh, Soros. Nah, nah. It's it's more like a like that that big meteor impact zone that like there's a little <laughs> town at the bottom of it like that, that's pretty much Soros is you know he's 
I mean, I don't know. He, he's been done to death. He he is what he is. It, it's it's like all right, you know, he he's there. It, that that's the thing about BlackRock. Like Soros is right. the devil, you know. BlackRock, um, mm-hmm. and and the the entities behind BlackRock, those are the devils you don't know. And those, I don't know. Me, me personally, yeah. I, I think those are just a hair trigger, yeah. a little bit more dangerous. You know, it's funny that you mentioned BlackRock because I got I got a letter today uh, from the uh, my present job, the retirement fund um, that uh, I contribute to. It's uh, Wells Fargo slash BlackRock, or the the people in the the main people in charge of it. And I got a letter saying, hey, as of April 1st, they have changed the name. They've taken Wells Fargo and BlackRock off the name, but it's still it's still the same. I'm like, hmm, wonder why they did that. Maybe it's because they've been in the news a good bit here of late. Uh, yeah. I just thought that was ironic that they would that they would remove their name from the name of the fund um, and the and the, yeah. the overall retirement fund. Or they're worried about uh, what what it could be. What it, it knowing a little bit about the financial world, a, a little bit. Admit it. I I'm not some financial genius. I don't purport to be uh, at all. I do run a successful company, and you know I, I have I, I'm self made guy. But um, what I will say though is that what they're probably doing. If I were them, they are probably getting ready to be in some sort of legal indemnity trouble, or they are shorting those funds that they have invested in. They, they've shorted them heavily, and they're getting ready for a steep drop in them, like like well, two thousand kind of, Lehman yeah, Brothers. That's kind of what I was thinking about. Yeah, uh, was that they've they've done something over the last couple of years that is getting ready to, to catch up with them. Yep. And, and they, and they want, because, because so many people have short memories, you know? Right. Um, so they you know, think, Oh, well, if we're not, you know, on, if we're not in a title on a piece of paper or on something that they look up, you know, on online to see what their fund is doing and it's not right there in their face, People forget all about it. Well, at least, you know, a number of people would. Uh, right. But I, that was, and, and after, you know, you and I talked there a couple weeks ago and, and we were talking about the BlackRock situation. And that's the first thing I thought about was the irony that I get this in the mail stating that oh, the, basically the only thing they're doing is taking the name Wells Fargo slash BlackRock out of the title of the fund. Nothing else is changing. It specifically said that right. in the in the paperwork. So. Ironic, but yeah, I mean, they're they're creating something new, right? They're creating something new to be the fall guy, a, a new shell entity, and that's just what they're gonna do. Um, again, I, I hope that I'm wrong about that. I could be completely wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Um, yeah. you know, I hope, I hope everything's awesome and, you know, all the stuff is just conjecture and I, you know, I want to be proven wrong every single day. You know, I, I please prove, prove me wrong on, on the things that I talk about. Like I, you know, 
I want to be wrong about it, but the problem is, is that it, it's, you know, the, the Cassandra complex. It, history is our best guide to the future. And when we look at what has happened, what has been d- uh, done historically, that's probably what's going to happen in the future. In near term, if we look back to recent history, I mean, it's the same people that, that pulled all the shenanigans of 2008 leading up to 2008. It's all the same people. Like they, they're, it's right. it's all the same people in charge. It's all the same players. It doesn't matter the the CEOs of of all these financial entities. It's all the same people, man. And they're gonna do this stuff again. You know, they they're gonna do it again. They're gonna keep doing it because they keep getting away with it. Well, I think something you just said is really it, it hits the nail on the head. We do want to be proven wrong every day, but just because the you know, and and if we could, because if we were proven wrong, that would mean we're not headed for a total disaster. You know, we don't. You know, although we prepare for a total disaster, that doesn't mean we want it to happen. I pray to God I never have to use any storage food for the for the intended purpose that it's been bought for. The ammunition I've stored, you know, the firearms I've bought, I. I I've been shot at and I've shot at people, you know, been in, been in combat. Really, I would be happier than anything if, if I knew it could, someone could tell me they guarantee that I would never be in that situation again because it didn't come, come home to roost. But as you know, when we talked the other day, it, it, I, I had said something to uh, somebody about the, uh, he's oh the poor Ukrainian people. You know what? The chickens have come home to roost. And they're paying for it. And he said, well, what about the U.S.? I said, oh, trust me, we're going to pay full price. It just hasn't come here yet. Right. I said, it's not a matter of that we we don't, we aren't in a position to to deserve everything we end up getting as a, as a nation. No. Um, but no. you know, Karma. I just think it's caught up to the Ukrainian people sooner than it did with us. Well, I mean, look. Look at where they live. I mean, you know, Ukraine, Russia, that that whole that whole region, all the way to the Caucasus and beyond the Caucasus, and the uh, the Central Asian steppes, and they've all been historically. This is something that uh, Badlands, when he was on, he was talking about. Historically, they've been overrun o- over and over again. Like it, it would happen periodically, and they knew within a generation that they would be overrun. And that kind of, I don't know, man, that just kind of, uh, that, that gave them a different outlook on life as far as civilization goes. You know, I mean, yeah. here in America, we've had many generations absent serious conflict, like serious yeah. conflict. You know, World War II was really the last one where we were a nation at war. You know, like Korea, we sent a lot of people to Korea. Korea was absolute hell on earth, but it was for the veterans who were there. It was for the guys who were fighting. It wasn't necessarily like it wasn't an all-in fight of everybody here in America. They were kind of removed from it. Vietnam, Vietnam was, there were two different Vietnams. There was the Vietnam War that was going on, and then there was the communist uprising that was here at home that was going on that that was the vietnam anti-war movement 
and you know, and 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 so on and so forth. And and you know, we since then, I mean, I think that we we really like the last time we had a national shock was nine eleven, where something that monumental happened, and you know, we we've turned a complete blind eye to the border. We know that we're being invaded from the South. Nobody's doing a damn thing about it. They're not doing nothing about it. They're not going to do anything about it. It doesn't matter how many Republicans you vote for. They ain't going to do nothing about it. Okay? They're not going to do nothing. They're going to continue to not do anything. That's the reason that we have a pedophile now who's going to be sitting on a Supreme Court. Okay? we got a pedophile enabler. Okay? If, if you know, pet, you can call her pedophile, you call her not pedophile. I'm sure there's gonna be somebody who'll send me a little nasty email. Like, she's not a pedophile, that's how I've applied. Yeah, well, she enabled them, and there's absolutely no argument that you can make to that. Not only that, I mean, we look into this. Here's the thing, though, here's a question that, that I have for everybody a little tangent. Remember when we had the Brett Kavanaugh hearings? Remember how uh, Ted Cruz was chased into an elevator? How these code pink people, the the pussy hat wearing people, just all of a sudden run and bum rush into the Capitol building? Where are all of them? Where, where, where were the jail cells that were full of them? Huh? Where were they? Where were where if 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 the uh, if if this was such a uh, uh, menacing thing, if the evil right wing was such a menacing thing, and January sixth was such a horrible thing, right? It was this great insurrection. Why didn't they do it again? Why didn't they do it again? Where was everybody? Where was it? You didn't hear anything about it because it's all a dog and pony show. It's all a smoke show. It's all bullshit. From top to bottom, and we've been evaded from it's our. It's like our war fighting. Exactly. It's just it's it the our war fighting. We our hands, our hands and feet are always tied. And, you know, it, people say, "Oh, well, you know, we're taking the moral ethical road." No, we're not. We're doing something yeah. about. It's about perception. It is about perception. <laughs> if you go to war, you go to total war. You you do what you need to if because that means that it's you. You have got a reason to go and wipe out the the fighting ability of another country. First off, we better have a you have a better have a damn good reason to do that. But if you're going to go do it, and you're going to put the lives of, of the lives of the the best of us at risk, you know the the next generations at risk, then then you you do it for real. And and all we've done is play at it. And I think one of the reasons that that uh the situation in ukraine as far as some of the issues russia has had they've tried to take i believe this is my thought i believe they've tried to take a high road similar to stuff that we have done because to to uh be the perception to be similar to what ours is as opposed to what most people would think the russians would have done you know, a lot of people thought, oh, well, it's hard to believe they didn't, you know, do things a certain way, wipe out certain things and all that. I think they were trying to emulate some of the things we have done in the past to create a, a different perception. And, you know, <laughs> all that does is create more casualties. Um, but it's it's same, same. You know, the 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 quote unquote Republican Party, <clears throat> they're full of shit. They're totally full of shit. They're. They, they play these stupid games about perception, but yet 
they're they're doing the same crap the Democrats are. I mean, um, was it Cawthorn talking about being invited to to a friggin' swingers party orgy, you know, yeah. and saying, hey, it's people on both sides of the aisle and everything else. It's like, okay, I I have no doubt. Um, Can I say like something said, to the same thing? The, to the Cawthorn thing? Uh-oh. I read about Uh-oh. that. Johnny Paratrooper said, I'm here for the gangbang. <laughs> I am totally jumping in. <laughs> so when uh, when I lived in D.C., I uh, I worked in a pretty nice part of town and I would go out with uh, with coworkers and their friends. And and uh, you go back to people's houses and some of them obviously come from money because they're not paying for this apartment on their salary. I mean, cause I knew they made the same amount of money I did. Right. And, um, but like the, the, those good looking women that hang out in the gym and, uh, and are walking around the, the office in their yoga pants, dude, you go to those girls' houses, man. And, and they have like, uh, they have their masks, on display from like when they attended the masquerade ball, you know what I'm saying? Like quote unquote, the masquerade ball, you know what I'm saying? Like it, yeah. it's a real thing. Like Cawthorn's not fucking you mean like the me. eyes wide shut stuff. Yeah. 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 Yeah, man. And, and these are like, I mean, these women are total like nines and tens. They went to like law school at Boston or, um, you know, or, they went to some fancy pro like business school program at, um, at like Vanderbilt. I mean, these are like the top, like 2% of students in this country. And they were, you know, they were the hot chick that was on the lacrosse team or the field hockey team back when you were in college, like that, that it's those chicks, man. I'm telling you, I swear, I swear it's true. It's all true. Cawthorn's telling the truth, man. No, I don't doubt him. I don't doubt it. There was a better way for him to go about it, I think, than that. But he's a young dude. I mean, here's the thing, man. He's a young dude. Um, He's – he kind of got thrusted into the spotlight really before he knew, I think, before he knew necessarily what he was getting into. Um I mean, I, I love the dude. You know, he he's here from North Carolina. I think he's a he's a shining example of what uh, a, a politician in America actually standing up for states' rights should be. Um, you know, and and you know the same with Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, but the thing is, is that there's there's a, there's candor to everything. There's candor to everything. There is, um, you know, you 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 have a, a tactic behind things, and I mean, I'm sorry, you know that that's the reason too. Like he, so like I've reached out to to uh, several uh, very well known politicians to get them on Radio Contra, and um, you know, a couple of them have reached back to me, and, and they they shall not be named uh, just yet. But the the thing is, is like that's why they're hesitant to go on shows that are not canned. 
you know, like when, when you go on with a national radio show host, like, you know, your Glenn Beggs or your Hannity's or whoever, it's pretty much like the, the showrunner and the producer gives a list of the questions. They have a script that they're going to follow. And that's that. Like you, you don't really stray away from that. When you go on a podcast, though, because it's very free form, it's it's long format. It is very um, off the cuff. Politically, that's extremely dangerous because you can get caught. Everybody can kind of get caught up in the moment, and they don't really necessarily. Uh, they're going to say things that are going to come back and bite them. So they're very hesitant to go on podcasts when there is not predetermined. Like this is exactly what we're going to talk about for this long. This is these are the questions you're gonna you're you're gonna talk about down to the the word, and you're not going to stray away from that. And that's just the way that it goes. And and so um, unfortunately, I think that he he might have fallen a little bit victim to that um, talking off the cuff. I think the. The, the thing is, is, is too, like from from my perspective of, you know, my background, you know, all three of us coming from military background, as soon as you, you know, there, there is no um, do you initiate contact or not? You you initiate a little bit of contact and then don't. Nah, I mean, once, once those first shots are fired, you fucking roll with it. That's what you 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 just got to do that. You you seize the initiative. So with with Cawthorn coming out and saying what he said he should have went with it man he should you know Nate start naming names start throwing it out there somebody like you know what these guys they they pulled me off of every um they pulled me off of every committee out there they they tried to primary me the state of north carolina the board of elections and it's republican run like it's right down the middle of Democrat and Republican, and they they uh, the board of elections director right now is a Republican, and they they said that they're gonna not certify him to run again for reelection. That's that's what they were trying on him. Asked his own party doing that to him, and that's not like they just did it yesterday. This was months ago that they did this when he filed we for reelection. So what he ought to done? He he just started looking at him like, oh okay, that's the game you want to play. I know all your secrets and this is what I'm going to do. And I want you to come for me and I want you to try to Seth rich me. I want you to try it because I'm going to go back to the country where Eric Rudolph evaded your people for how long? That's what I would say, but that's me. I am where I am. He is where he is all respect in the world. But brother, that's one. Once you initiate contact, you roll with it. And that's that's yep. what happened. You walked into that ambush, you move. You know, you react to it, you move on. Yeah, you don't you don't negotiate. You up the ante. That's the problem. Too many people they're they're willing to negotiate stuff away. It's like, no, you're gonna do this? Okay. Well, you know what? It's you know, I'll offer you ten dollars, you offer me five. It's like, okay, now now it's twelve uh, you know, twelve. You know, you go the opposite direction of what they expect because they don't expect it. They're so used to being able to, to steamroll everybody. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Always have the upper hand. You know, as I was telling somebody in the comments, 
um, always have the upper hand when you come to the negotiating table for whatever it is. You got to always have that upper hand because uh, if if you don't, you know, you, you never, ever, ever come out guns blazing and, and lay your trump cards down, lay your ace in the hole down. You never play that card first because um, it, it just didn't get a it, it it ain't gonna go anywhere good, man. It's just not gonna go anywhere good. But um, you know, there, there's that controversy. There is, uh, of course, you know, we already talked about the uh, the Supreme Court justice uh, who is just a disaster. Um, they're already coming after Clarence Thomas. They they've signaled this, and um, I think. That's really going to ramp up uh, rapidly. I think they're really going to come after Clarence Thomas next. They telegraph their intent. The machine's going to come after him um, because they got to get another pick in. They have to slant the court in uh, their direction. They're going to need to do that. And they got to um, they they got to be picking justices who are going to have longevity on the court so they can stack the deck. They, they really, they're doing things now and, and they're kind of rolling with stuff now that they, I don't think they, they didn't even think that they could get away with, with, uh, uh, Obama. And so now they, they know that, I mean, they stole an election, so they can just go with it. They can just go for it. And so whatever, um, why not? And, and I think, uh, Thomas is going to be next. We'll say y'all. Yeah, I mean, they initially they tried tried with him when he first was put on the court, or when he was first being uh, he had been nominated. Um, that didn't stick. I, I can't even remember her name. Um, uh, but uh, Anita Hill, isn't, isn't that what her name? Yeah, was? Anita. Yeah, Anita Hill. Yeah, yeah, but. Uh, I, I mean, I'm I'm waiting to see him do another uh, Scalia. I mean, that's there. You know, nothing's off the table with them. We all know that. How, how dare you, uh, you you insinuate that Justice Scalia uh, would would die of unnatural causes with a pillow over his face? Uh, <laughs> how yeah. dare you? And no autopsy to be performed. Nothing more to see here. Well, yeah, the family didn't want that, right? Nothing more to see. Isn't that what they said? It's what somebody said. Yeah. What you think, Johnny? Man, I. It's it. It'll be interesting to see. Because you know, ten years ago, it was you know. So, some guys have the right to get married to other guys, and now men are winning gold medals in women's sports. <laughs> Somehow, those two things are connected. And I mean, what what's next? You know, like I mean, it just it, like I, you know, hopefully they play the. Hopefully, they know Biden's best best case scenario. They know Biden's a a one term president. So all the justices are going to kind of, I mean, it's a lifetime position, right? But they don't want to get, you know, they don't want to stir the pot too much because 
DC is all about favors, right? DC runs on blackmail. That's like the saying in DC. And um, if you, uh, it's not against the law to record somebody without their knowledge in DC, which is why all the real spies work in Maryland, because Maryland, it is against the law to record somebody without their knowledge. Uh, anyway, um, something I learned um, a long time ago that always stuck with me. Yep. Uh, I, I hope that they play it cool and keep things limited to hearings on like what's going on with the bill in Florida. And then they make a big deal out of it for like six months. And then, you know, the college kids get to talk about it in, you know, social justice class and legal studies. And then it all kind of gets just nothing really, it doesn't really go anywhere. And, and then, uh, you know, they declare in the middle of the more some morning on a Tuesday. Well, you know, Florida does have, you know, states rights. And we knew that before we even started this whole thing. And anyway, back to the golf, you know, yeah, <laughs> I, I hope that's how it goes. Well, at least Florida has kind of emboldened some other states to do, do something. So, and I consider that a minimum for protecting our kids. That's, I mean, people are looking at it like, Oh, that's such a great thing. It, it, it's good, but come on, that's the bare minimum they should be doing uh, to protect kids in the school. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, the I forget which state it was, is uh, another state is trying to pass a bill where it's about parents' rights uh, concerning Ohio, I think, what their, what their kids are being taught or taught. Plus one, and, uh, it's Ohio, right? Well, Ohio is doing something similar to what Florida did, but there was another state. Um, I'm trying to think. I heard a couple of different things today. Oklahoma, basically, they they started to try and pass a bill that completely completely banned abortion, um, and it was uh, Ohio. Like I said, I believe that theirs was very similar to Florida's uh, bill. And it was another state that had something similar. I think it might have been Texas. Um, but like I said, th those are bare, bare minimums. You know, people act like it's a it's it's a huge um, thing. And I think a lot of these people just uh, first off, they probably don't have children, um, so they have no skin in the game. Um, and two, they don't have any morals or ethics. And they and they know and then you got the worst part, the malicious ones that know this is how you subvert and destroy a society is through the children. So Right. We'll see where it goes. Right. Yeah. At least it, uh it's at way. least gonna it's at least gonna destroy, you know, our way of society. But uh, you know, they 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 are students of history and they know full well that the, you know, the Greek cultures, they made it 700 years and they practiced pedastry like, I mean, that was like what you did. Right? It was a form of population control. That uh, um, wasn't until late stage, though, <clears throat> right before they fell. It was the same with the Romans. It was, they didn't, when, when you have a civilization that's struggling to survive, 
uh, the, the, I don't want to dig too deep into that because it's kind of outside of, now, now, fuck it. We'll just go with it. Um, the whole, the whole reason that it becomes what it, it becomes, like how it, it gets on the rise, uh, the whole, the whole question of, uh, or question issue of, uh, homosexuality and, uh, what begets pederasty and the normalization of it is because your society no longer has that day-to-day struggle to actually make it like you, you don't have to have 12 kids to make sure that, you know, your, your viable genetics will get passed on. The three of them make it to adulthood. Right. You, and so when you don't, when you don't have to do that anymore, you have time to think about other things and, and societies across history have naturally degenerated once they have lost, um, they, once they've bypassed that phase or or they've got past that, that milestone as a civilization, they end up collapsing in on themselves because of that. And, and the normalization of pederasty uh, homosexuality in general as well. I mean, because you, you always have a certain number of, of a, of a, uh, R value in a, in a given population that exhibit abnormal deviates from the baseline. What we label social deviants specifically. I mean, we have, there's a whole area of study of that in, in sociology called social deviants, or at least it used to be, uh, used to be not anymore. Um, we, you know, we don't have that anymore, but, um, it, it's, you know, we, we don't have that anymore. So, uh, and, and, and anyway, uh, point is where I'm going with that is it's, it is the benchmark of a civilization in decline, which I don't think anybody listening to this podcast could dispute. Is absolutely a civilization in decline, um, and you know we're, we're the the writing is is really on the wall, and and uh, somebody put up I think it was Mags in the comments talking about Emma Robinson uh, and the piece that she did on Disney and Ghislaine Maxwell and and how that all kind of comes together where where it all intersects, and. Um, yeah, it, it, it's but they, that's just one more indicator. I mean, you didn't need to be told that this stuff was going on. You knew that it was going on. You already knew. And Disney is part and parcel of all of this because you have to understand that the the role of the mega entertainment corporations, right, which Disney is one of them. It is not the only one, but it is one of them. Um, <clears throat> the role of them is to create hegemony. And hegemony is something that has been mislabeled by uh, conservatives of the years as uh, cultural Marxism, quote unquote. That's no, it, that's it, it, it's not. It, it's called hegemony. OK, the, that, that's what it's actually the, the real terminology for it. Um, and what hegemony is, is it is a uh, belief system that is created by the ruling class. That the masses, all of the, the the overlords are essentially, if you look at it from a pyramid model, the, the people at the, the capstone create the hegemony. 
and everybody below that capstone obeys it and lives by it and lives up to it and thinks that, you know, this is what creates culture and this is what defines culture and defines a civilization. And then you have the people who make up the capstone, your, your overlords, the people you, you know, you can't criticize and your, uh, you know, your, your, um, specter types that are all the way at the top, you know, your, your world economic forum people and, and, you know, all of those that are at the very top of the pyramid model. Those are the people who create it. And this is why, this is why you never see these people actually get in trouble for anything. And this is why in, in this day and age, while we're kind of entering a, a revolutionary phase Something that Strauss and Howe would call the fourth turning or what have you. I think that's really cliche and there's a lot of problems with their theory of quote unquote fourth turning. Isn't anyway, uh, to, to simplify it down, to distill it down, we're entering a phase of revolutionary uh, content, revolutionary struggle, revolutionary conflict uh, between classes and between different groups. And what's going on right now is is the, the people who create that hegemony at the very top, they use corporations like Disney and AT&T, AT&T, which uh, formerly canceled OAN, uh, One American News Network, they canceled them. They use these corporations, they put their, their hand-selected people in charge of them and, and what have you. They use these corporations to define what you see, what you hear, and what you define as culture. And this is exactly what they are doing with our kids. This is why it, it all boils down to these children's uh, outlets. And they are brainwashing them from a very early age. They are indoctrinating them into these ideas of hegemony. And so they, thereby they create the hegemony that they want of what they are seeking. And so this is where the, you know, all, all your, you know, the, the global homo stuff and, and that terminology, it's where it all comes from. Um, all a hundred percent of it. And so when, when you begin to understand this, you know, and, and, and you start to see things in, in more of a, uh, a very different way, you kind of break out of the system a lot like the Lego movie, you know, I, I reference the Lego movie a lot. If you want to understand sociology, watch the Lego movie and, uh, and, and you will have a, you will have a very, uh, you will have a much more educated view on the world. I think in, in understanding that that was a, uh, an allegorical movie made for kids that got a little bit too close to the truth. And that's why you really don't see it around that much anymore. What do you think about uh, today we have a lot of people are pushing, they're, they're pushing a lot of different type of deviant lifestyles because they know what historically, what it will do to those particular societies. And, and the reason I ask is I had a conversation with uh, somebody at work the other day and he said, yeah, we're just like Rome and Greece. I said, well, I believe the difference is they became or they they ended up having you know coming apart due to due to a lot of deviance and, and corruption and everything but theirs was not or i don't believe theirs was orchestrated like ours is 
ours has been orchestrated by a lot of people that aren't involved in that type of, of lifestyle at all, but they know what it will do to a society historically. What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I, all right, go ahead. It, I, like in college <clears throat> uh, and high school, it was always used as a, a way to dominate everyone like you know the one gay kid complains and now the whole school has to you know get lectured or like when like my first day of college during orientation like i remember the you know the the guides or whatever the hell they are the ones that do the whole like song and dance thing on the gym floor they they did the you know like the you know, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Z's and Zers, you know, non-binary, transgenders, you know, queer fluids. Like they, like it was not, you know, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It, I swear they went through that whole thing. And it was like exhaustive, and um, it was just a way of dominating us. I, I didn't see any master plan. I mean, homosexual men don't really live much past forty. The disease. I'm talk, well, I'm not talking about at that level. I'm talking about a lot higher. For the same reason, the the Soviet Union pushed. They they were behind the anti nuke crowd in the United States. The Soviet Union wasn't anti nuke, but they knew that if they pushed that that type of mentality, and they pushed, they they organized and funded those groups here, that would that would cause problems here even though that wasn't what they believed, they knew his, that, that that would, that would help their cause as far as us getting rid of nukes for the same, that's the same thing. I, I believe the people you're talking about, Oh, they're, they're all, all into it, but I'm talking about at a higher level. Um, people that are pushing that want the, well, the, so the 2030. my point is the, the schools are the ones that gave us Facebook. You know, the schools are the ones that uh, the, you know, it's, it's a nationalized curriculum. The, the history classes you take in New York are the same as the history classes you take at Caltech. I mean, it's, it's the same thing if they even have history classes at Caltech, but, um, you know, I called somebody once said to me when I was in college, I was like, this is miserable. Like I, I got to get out of this school. And, uh, you know, everybody's answer is we'll just transfer to our school which is great. You know, I can just move across the country and drop like 15 grand. But the, um, I called around and I asked them, I was like, I asked the student administrators. Um, I kept going like up and up and up the chain of command as much as I could till there was really no one else I could talk to. Cause I was thinking of transferring and I, and I don't, I would ask them, I'd be like, are we allowed to criticize Islam? You know, am I allowed to, you know, like speak out against the homosexual agenda or, you know, if I go to like, I know at the college I went to in Baltimore, the Christian club, which I went to for one meeting was run by a homosexual transgender Jewish guy. And I was, I was there all of five minutes and I was just like, this is fucking stupid. I'm leaving. I think it's all about power and dominating us. 
Um, I, I don't, I don't think there's a bigger picture other than that. They are all in on it together. Like, and they know they're bullying us and there's nothing that it's kind of like the bully in high school that nobody can do anything about. Like it's it or middle school or whatever. It's, it's a problem that has like no real solution and they use it to get away with everything, everything it, it, they, um, they, uh, I, when I called, like Wyoming and Colorado and, and Montana and, and Tennessee and Kentucky to like transfer to other schools. They were like, no, no, no hate is allowed on campus. And I was like, well, I'm not hating anybody. I'm just, you know, it's part of my culture to not care about that kind of stuff. Like I'm more interested in like skiing and snowboarding and, you know, just hanging out with my friends, not being like bullied and lectured all day long with this message. And, and they were like, I don't understand what you're saying. Like, how could you not be into both? You know, they just played stupid. They know what they're doing. I agree with you that they do know what they're doing, but they, they're bullying us, though. They're picking on us is what they're doing. They're, they're teasing us. And they're right. a very small minority. Yeah, well, the American left, the thing is, the American left... The American left is different, by the way, from its international brethren. It, it it's a different thing, and it, it, you know, in what we see today, uh, the struggle of of Russia against NATO in Ukraine. That's a left versus left battle, by the way. Uh, that's why I think that it's hilarious. Let a let a right wing folks are like, yeah, Russia's the great savior of the of civilization. <laughs> like, nah, 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 nah. It's it's the opposite, man. They they still want to crush America, okay. But at the same time, America is doing a pretty damn good job of crushing America too. They they're just making sure that when they crush them, when when America crushes America, that Russia doesn't also get crushed in the aftermath. Like that, that's what they're worried about right now. Um, but now the American left, the American left in the, the baby boom generation learned that they needed to gain control of the institutions, all of the institutions, which is exactly what they did. Okay. They, this was Antonio Gramsci March through the institutions this is what they did. Um, the the whole Frankfurt School, um, you know Herbert Marcuse and and uh, those intellectuals that came out of that, they realized what they needed to do, and that's why you have your John Brennan's and your James Clappers. These people are all died in the wool leftists. Obama, of course, is the, the figurehead of all that. He's not really in charge. That's why I thought it was really funny this past week when when uh, Obama gets out there. People are like, see, he's really the shadow president. Like, no, he's not. Uh, I promise you, Obama is enjoying uh, his retirement right now. He's he, he's living like he's doing nothing like he, he always wanted to do. Like he, he's never done anything before. Why would he be doing anything now? Um, it's all the same. It's all the same stuff, right? It, but it, but it is the same shadow hand that's running everything behind the scene. And so um, you you have to understand that that they they have the the halls of power right now. Now that's changing. That's going to rapidly change. But what that necessitates is societal change. 
And people think like, oh, well, you know, how well, how do you do that? So well, we got to do that now. We got to do something. Now, what you do is you assert your First Amendment right to say, I will not be silenced. Okay, I will not be silenced. You will not shut me down. You will not shut me up and say what's on your mind. It's like I told somebody else today, you got to be the man. You're either the man of your house or you're not. You stand up and be a man because if, if that is the thing, when they say, oh, that offends me. When you have a leftist that says, oh, that offends me, that offends me. Yeah, okay, what they want you to do is sit down and shut up, and you don't. And you don't. And not only do you not shut up, you get louder. And you let them know that not only am I smarter than you, I'm better than you, and I'm going to crush you in every way possible by just staring you down. Because now I know my very existence absolutely drives you up the wall, and I'm not going anywhere. That's what you do. And you fight them that way. And then you link up with other people. Who are in your neighborhood. Not people that live five states away. To tell you what you want to hear. Or go meet up with some people in a park. From you know five. Four or five states away. Because you met them on a website. And they all do. We're really going to do something now. Yeah, No. You meet people in your community. And you get hooked up with them. You get connected with them. And then you start training together. Okay. You come out to classes. But only until you do that. Those first building blocks need to be built and that is how you do that and what you're going to find is that there's a whole hell of a lot of people out there the worse things get the more people are waking up and i'm telling you the worse it gets the more people are waking up you're going to find a lot of people in your backyard who are like yeah you know what you're right i feel that way too all it takes is one person standing up but you gotta be smart about it you can't be the kind of person that that just wants to wear all their beliefs on their sleeve. You don't want to be that asshole. Because you're just as bad as the left. It's virtue signaling people. Patriot Man is going to be in here in a little bit. But people that virtue signal, some of the worst virtue signals I've seen, it comes from the right. It comes from the libertarians. There was somebody that was, because uh, Patriot Man does all the Twitter stuff. There's somebody on Twitter that got pissed off because we put up a link to Amazon. Hey, you know what? And he wrote a little diatribe up there. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is really good. That's really good of you to do that. You know what, asshole? If you don't like that, we put up a link to Amazon because we got to we got to pay the bills somehow. We got to keep the hosting fees up somehow. You know, the website gets suffers nonstop attacks from all sides, corporate level attacks, international attacks, domestic attacks, all electronic ransomware. We got hit with one of those this morning. We're going to pay the bills somehow, man. So you can support it or not. I don't like Amazon as much as the next guy, but I got to do what I got to do. We got bills to pay. This is coming out of the pocket. You know, it's running a business here. I'm sorry if you don't like that. So as far as the virtue signaling goes, knock that shit off. But be a man. Be a real man. Say, you know, hey, man, you know, I, I had an electrician that came over. I had to have some electrical work done. He came over. And, you know, of course, he noticed a couple things and he was he started talking and he said, you know, all right. Yeah, yeah, and, and next thing you know, and you're not pushing the issue. You're not being all wild eyed and waving your arms. Oh, the government's going to blow and We got to do something, guys. Oh, my God. Nah, none of that shit, man. Just being a man. 
just talking man to man. Like, yeah, shit's getting shit's getting a little dicey, man. You know? Oh yeah, well this is yeah, this is what I'm seeing, this is what I'm doing. Oh, cool. Well, this is what I see, this is what I'm doing. And that's it. That's it right there. Long and short. And that's all you gotta do. And guess what? You find people in your community. The guy lives three miles away from me. You know what? He's he said, Hey, hey man, you know, like we got to talking. He said Next time you're running a class, man, I would, I, I'm, I'm really interested in this. I'd like to come out. Hey, cool. Let me know. And that's how you do it right there. That's how you do that. But I digress. You know, so everybody that, that throws their hands up, I've seen plenty of it, man. The black pill effect. Oh, God. We're not going to be able to do nothing. I'm going to throw my hands up. Uh, nothing's ever going to happen. Wait, I'm going to tell you, man, if you're waiting on DC to fix itself, you got another thing coming. If you think that a magic cue is going to materialize out of out of the sky with JFK Jr. and whatever other shit they believe, man, all right, well, you can be waiting all day. If you think anything's going to happen with this Durham report and Hillary Clinton getting arrested, man, you, you know, hey, that's, you do you, man. I mean, there's people who believe all kinds of stuff, but I, I'm just telling you, I'm not, Holding my breath. All I know is that I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm doing a whole hell of a lot. And you know what? At the end of the day, the people that come out and train, the people that get something out of class, the people that get something out of the podcast, out of everything that, that we've all put forth, all the work. If you get something out of that that gives you an edge, then I did my job. Okay. I did my job. And that's all that I can do. Okay. That's all that I can do. And that's all that you can do is realize what that is, all right? Realize what it is that you can do, what you bring to the table, and do it the best that you can. That's all you got. Anyway. Amen. Anyway, (laughs) I'll be at the Shady Pines Baptist Church this Sunday. (laughs) That's funny. Hallelujah, brother. Yeah. <sighs> oh man, one hour, one hour into this thing, I think it's time to talk 1911s because 1911s, man, it's the it's it's the both the most uh, loved and hated weapon apparently in 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 all of America. Uh, who knows, man. Quite possibly. Yeah. No. Quite quite possibly. Quite possibly. To yes. some to some it is the greatest handgun that ever walked the face of the earth. From from John Brown John Browning Moses. John I am man. Outtakes <laughs> <laughs> right Damn, there, brother. John Browning Moses. <laughs> I'm sitting here you looking at the headlines. I'm sitting here looking at headlines, and there's literally a headline that I have up right now from Harrods that says Zelensky is like the second coming of Moses. So I'm looking at that, and I'm talking about John Browning. I'm I'm more of a Jesus kind of a guy. Yeah, Yeah. me too. Me too. (laughs) Anyway. My my question is, did Zelensky break the third tablet too when he came down off the mountain? The fifth. (laughs) <laughs> and it was on a piano. You, you, you've seen so, that, haven't you? Where 
He, yeah. The, the joke was he came down off the mountain and he saw them worshiping an idol. And he had three tablets, so there were like 15 commandments. And he got so mad, he threw one down and it broke. And he's like, I bring you the 15, I bring you the 10 commandments. <laughs> <laughs> there was supposedly five more. But yeah, you all you need to do is put a comma in there. John Browning, comma, Moses. John Browning, Moses. Yeah, yeah. One, one each, John Browning, also known as Moses. Uh, but no, he totally yeah. saved it. He did, man. He well, you know, but no, I literally am looking at at headlines right now. And uh, world is yeah, best. man. Haretz, man. It's like they're telling you the truth. <laughs> what a concept! What a concept! That one I sent you about how Zelensky declared Ukraine the next Israel. I was like, yep, yeah, yeah. Story checks out. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah. Voldemort Moses Zelensky. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Something to some of us. Yeah. Yeah. But anyhow, um, yeah, the 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 model nineteen eleven. Uh, the the most loved and simultaneously hated handgun probably in American history uh, for a variety of reasons. You know, people say, oh, it's it's limited bag capacity. Okay. Um, you know, compared to you know, the, the modern Wonder Nines, sure. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm, I've seen a lot of arguments out there for and against stuff, me, me personally. Um, if I'm getting into a gunfight where I'm firing, you know, mag after mag out of a handgun, I should probably go get a rifle. Just, yep. Handgun is yeah. a self-defense first aid kit. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of valid criticism against the 1911. It is heavy, you know, but it is yes, it's also it is. an all-steel handgun. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it was made, it was designed and made in an era where, uh, machinists were the king of the uh, of the manufacturing world, literally. And you know, you you had uh, each gun had hand fitted parts. Uh, there was no MIM, um, which is just uh, uh, basically molded parts that that are, um, you know, that 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 are put onto the gun, so trigger components, uh, the hammer sear, and and what have you, MIM. Uh, some of your lower-end guns, and even some of the higher-end guns, too. Um, you know, but as, as far as a, a handgun goes, I mean, the 1911 endures for a lot of reasons. Um, the trigger is, is absolutely outstanding on a good model of it. Uh, but even I've, I've seen some of the lower end ones. I mean, uh, right now I'm evaluating a Rock Island 1911, which has got an amazing trigger. Um, They've come a long I, way too. Yeah, I mean, did they they really uh, they, they really knocked it out of the park for a four hundred dollar 1911. That's it's that's something. Um, but what are you guys' experiences with the platform and, and kind of your takeaways? ups downs suggestions to people 
uh, for and against it, or or you know if you've ran it for a lot a lot of a uh, long period of time, what would you suggest doing your modifications to it? Well, um, I first qualified. I well, I qualified with a 1911 in 1989. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be in a unit that still had 1911s. And uh, they were all stock, you know, a couple of them had A1 stamped on after the fact, <laughs> if that tells you how old they were, uh, and they were re reworked. But, uh, you know, I, I have a couple 1911s now, and uh, one is the Springfield Marine, Marine Operator, which is, it's one of the best 1911s I've ever had. And I've owned, I've probably owned like six, you know, full size 1945 caliber 1911. The, uh, I'm a huge fan of Pac-Mire grips. Um, that's, uh, I know a lot of people, they, they have a problem with the rubber grips. They say, oh, well, if you're using inside the waistband holster, it, you know, it can catch on stuff and everything. Okay. Well, I, I've, all I point to that is training. Um, you know, tra you can you can train away a lot of a lot of issues. If if it's just you know first time use and everything, yeah, you might have a little problem with it snagging on something. Um, the uh, you know tritium sights. I'm a big fan of, of tritium night sights. Uh, and you know I'm a lefty, so ambidextrous safeties are are a big deal. <clears throat> But at the same time, I'm a huge fan of ambidextrous safeties on a gun just because, you know, if I'm, if I hand a gun to somebody, you know, in a, in a bad situation here, take it. Well, it's, if it's an, you know, I don't have to worry about whether or not they even understand, you know, the, uh, which side the safety's on and all that. Um, the, uh, I'm not a huge fan of the red dot stuff. Mainly because even though I have I have a TRP a six inch TRP ten millimeter Springfield that's uh, got an RMR on it, and it's it's the most accurate 1911 ever shot. I mean, it, off the rest they'll shoot an inch and a half five shot group at 50 meters. Um, but I, and and I tell people when they ask me about the red dot, I say, well, that's that's my deer hunting pistol. That's why it has a red dot on. I don't get into red dots because I have trained for over 30 years with iron sights. I have put thousands and thousands of rounds downrange with iron sights. The, the, the amount of training I would need to do to get myself up to the level where I would feel confident in carrying a self-defense pistol with a red dot would be thousands of rounds. And right now I just, I can't afford to, Start try to retrain myself when I'm I'm fully comfortable with carrying a gun with iron sights. But if it's if it's a new shooter, um, I think the red dot is a is a huge asset. Uh, my wife, uh, I got her a uh, an XDS nine millimeter with the OSP with the red dot on it. Um, and I know I've told you about this scout. It, you know, she we took it out to the range, and because she wasn't a fan of her. Smith and Wesson bodyguard 38 because it just it rocks pretty hard and uh, 
she was shooting a two inch orange dot. I mean, she shot it out with 50 rounds at, at 10 meters within the first box of 50 rounds shoot, using a red dot. Um, it, they come with a Crimson Trace red dot on it. And uh, so I would suggest, I would suggest that for the new shooter only because I think it's it's just for the same reason you know we recommend red dots on on weapons instead of iron sights. Uh, I mean, I, I'm backup iron sights. That's great, a good idea, but you know, um, less to concentrate on. You're focusing on uh, you have two things you're focusing on: target and red dot, um, or or reticle, whatever. And uh, good magazines. You know, 1911, I use Chip McCormick mags. I've never had an issue with them. Um, yeah, same here. Yeah, whether shoot, whether shooting shooting them out of my um, my full-size 1911 or my comp, I have a micro compact uh, 45 that they don't make, Springfield don't make it anymore, but uh, <clears throat> I can use the, I use the full-size chips, Chip McCormick's in that as, as extra mags. I don't carry it in that. But uh, uh, just like I say, good grips, good sights, um, triggers, you know, as long as it's a smooth trigger, you know, it can be a little heavier, a little less, I mean, for a self-defense gun. Um, but, you know, the 1911 has a lot of parts. It's got, I believe it's over 70 parts in it. Compared to a Glock, a Glock is approximately 33 to 35, I believe, parts in the gun. Um, that's one of the things people say, you know, they say that, oh, this is why the 1911 is more prone to failures because they have more parts. Well, I don't necessarily believe that's true. Oh, um, nah, if you're talking it's about fitment odds, of parts. I guess, what's that? It's the fitment of the parts. Exactly. That's, exactly. that's the and, biggest obstacle. And, it's, it's like being extracted. It's got to be being fitted. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and the quality of the parts. Um, so you know, I, you know, Springfield is probably you know they're one of the first ones I would go to as far as getting any any type of nineteen eleven because they they offer so many different types. Um, that you, I mean, you pretty much if you can't find a nineteen eleven type pistol in in different calibers in a different different models, different size, all that stuff. If you can't find it on the Springfield Armory site, you are entirely too picky, um, and their and their prices are not are not bad. Um, and I've had experience. I've owned uh, five <clears throat> five Springfield 1911s, um, and whether well, different you know different calibers and all. And, and uh, I think you know a lot of people if they like a nine nine millimeter, well they they make those too. Uh, what's that? Uh, What's that compact that they make? It's a nine millimeter. It just looks like a scaled down nineteen eleven. The I've EMP heard a lot of good stuff about it. Yes, the EMP. The EMP. I've heard a lot of good stuff about it. I've never shot one. Um, but I've heard a lot of good stuff about it. But uh, you know, and and good ammo. But the thing is, even if you're using ball, you're still making almost a half inch hole. So, uh, you know, that that's an advantage of a forty five is with the worst possible bullet type, uh, bullet uh, shape and everything, you, you're still, even if it's just a lead bullet, 
you know, it still will perform. Whereas when you start reducing the caliber size, you really need it having a, a high performance bullet becomes more of a necessity. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, the nut behind the butt is what's important. You have to hit what you're shooting at first. And one hit right. with a 22 is better than, better than six misses with a 44 Magnum. Well, unless you're only three feet away, then you're just catching them on fire. But, you know. <laughs> um, what's that saying that uh, Clint Smith has? You, you shoot them until they change shape or catch them on fire? Yeah. I think you can't miss fast enough. I think yeah, that's, that's, his, that's his, that. another takeaway, uh, a saying that, that he said in the past that, um, I really, really like, uh, it's something that I've said in, in carbine classes too. You can't miss fast enough. That's why, uh, you know, basic level firearms handling, I don't pull out a shot timer. I mean, it, that's not, you, you can work on split times, shot times. You work on that once you get the fundamentals down, but when you you're working ID, on you have to ID the target, yeah, you, you know, people, they say, they say about this speech, well, first off, you have to identify the target. And while you're identifying the target, you're already prepping yourself to be able to draw your weapon. Um, so that all that enters into it. Whereas, you know, with a shot timer on a square range, you already know what targets are bad. That's why if, if when I do that type of training with people, normally they, you know, they might have out of 10 targets, they might have two of them. Or, or don't shoot targets. Well, I, I switch that up. I will have out of 10 targets, there's only going to be two shoot targets because I want people to understand in the real world, most of the time, you're not going to be shooting somebody. You know, you, you might prepare right. to do it, but but you have to be able to, to it, I hate the term OODA loop, but you, you have to be able to go through that process um, I think OODA loop is used too much and it sounds like a serial. So, but you have to be able to go through that process. Um, yeah. And, and that's, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to make people think that's one of the things they, they should be the main takeaway in, in that type of a shooting class is that you're, you're always thinking, you're always, you know, you're trying to be one step ahead or at least be comparable because action always is faster than reaction. So you're already a little bit behind the curve, but if you can do things, it's one of the reasons I recommend shoulder holsters, the, the horizontal shoulder holsters. Uh, I can have my hand, I can have my arms crossed in a convenience store. And if I feel there's an issue, I can have my hand on my weapon and no one would even know as opposed to having to sweep back a jacket or whatever to get to a paddle holster or, or yank up my t-shirt to get to the appendix carry pistol. I can already have my hand on my gun and no one would even know. And if, if the situation ends up not being what it, it appeared to be initially, I can, I can take my hand off my gun. No one will ever know. I even had a hand on a gun, let alone know I had a gun. Um, I know a lot of people don't like shoulder holsters, but that's, you know, I've been using, using a shoulder holster for 30, 33 years now. And, uh, as far as that type and, it's you know it's just about training as far as speed and, and but I, that's one of the big advantages as a concealed carry holder is being able to to already be in a position where you can have your hand on your weapon so you can respond that much quicker 
if it does turn into what you thought it might be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, shoulder holsters. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a detective, so that's <laughs> that really, uh, you know, I'm always, I'm, I'm always, well, you know, there's, when I am concealed carrying, which is about 98% of the time, it's appendix inside the waistband. Um, with a full size 1911, I can pull that off. Uh, they, you know, some people can't pull that off. I can pull that off. It, it, it's, I mean, if you're, if you're a larger frame guy who, you know, can kind of knows how to move uh, and walk a particular way, you, you can pull that off with a full size weapon. It, it's really not. Um, I don't think it's a challenge and it's, it's pretty comfortable for me to do that. Uh, but you know, it, it, I don't want to dive down the whole Glock 19 and, you know, different, they, look, they're different tools for different purposes. Um, as I told somebody in the, the comment section, it was kind of, um, being very jocular yeah, in the comments about, you know, EDC stuff. So my everyday carry is a Glock 19 gen three in particular, but the 1911, uh, the, the question earlier in the week, which kind of started over on the forum. And then there, there was uh, a couple of videos that a friend of mine who used to work at Wilson combat sent over to me. And uh, one of them got posted up. There's going to be another one that's going to get posted up uh, maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow. But um, this is Bill Wilson is, is a, a firearms genius uh, for a lot of reasons. And the video series that he put out, on uh with Masad Ayub and and Ken Hackathorne and some of these guys who are really you know kind of the the old timers um of the the firearms training industry and, and they've got a lot of knowledge to bring to the table um hearing some of their wisdom and and some of the things when talking in 1911s there's some stuff that I didn't know um that that they were throwing out there like like for example for example, um, Masada, who is, uh, he was a police officer in New Hampshire, um, and just retired recently. He's been a firearms trainer for like forever. I remember reading his articles when I was a kid. Um, a lot of, a lot of knowledge, man. The guy brings a lot of knowledge to the table and he was talking, uh, about the 1911 and one of the advantages to the platform is that if you get into a scuffle with somebody if you get into you know where they're, they're trying to disarm you and um you know the, the with a glock you can it, it's very difficult to fire one out of battery as it is a lot of polymer frame guns if if they're out of battery it, uh striker fired weapons if if they're too far out of battery you know that you you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to uh, to drop the hammer. Um, with a 1911, if you have it on safe until you make the draw, there's no way that it can come out of battery. And so I never really thought about that before. Um, never really thought about that before. And I always kind of uh, because 1911 for me, I started out with a Springfield operator, um, the TRP operator. I still have it. And love that gun. Don't shoot it a lot because it's not really an everyday carry. 
uh, did did a little bit of competitive shooting around Fort Bragg with it, um, and you know, it, it performed very very well. And you know, things an absolute tack driver. But would it be the first thing that I'd carry? I, I don't think so. Um, you know, because obviously, when I carry a 1911, and, and sometimes I do, when I carry a 1911, I feel that at the end of the day, you know, I feel it in my back. Um, cause you're carrying, you know, a couple extra pounds and, you know, you're, you're having to move a little bit differently and, you know, a Glock is, is half the weight, similar capability. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. So it, it's, it, it's something. What do you think, Johnny? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I have a. <laughs> um, I hold on. Let me drink my beer. So I'm a um, I'm a I'm a pretty big fan of the uh, 1911 and anything similar to the 1911 in design. The uh, I actually didn't get my first Glock until like two or three years ago, and um, yeah, it's okay. It's my carry gun now. It, it's definitely a little handier. It's Glock is like the Dewalt power tool of <laughs> of tools, you know. It ju it just works, but I wouldn't say it's the best. And uh, and so, but the um, the nineteen eleven man is uh, is it's not, I have a larger hand, so definitely fits nicer for me. The um, I'm also six four, so I can hide a nineteen eleven on me. The um, that's not an option for everybody and to each his own. But uh, I'll tell you what, the um, in terms of accuracy, uh, you know, the trigger, I think the 1911 has one of the best triggers on any firearm, not just pistols. I, th I think it just yeah. has like one of the best triggers. I, and I've often wondered why they have never incorporated that trigger into, into some other weapons. But it is a little picky and it's hard to clean, which is unfortunate. Um, I know that I've put several thousand rounds through both of my 1911s. I have a Springfield TRP operator like yourselves, and I have a Rock Island Armory with an aluminum frame, Ooh. which is a which is a great uh, great pistol. It was actually an eighty percent lower, so I milled it. And uh, and um, fit all the parts. The parts, did, the gun did not work when you put it together. In fact, it was the opposite of worked. It was actually hard to get back apart so that I could fit them. Yeah. Uh, it, and it took. Start, uh, so I made an eighty percent Glock and I made an eighty percent nineteen eleven, and we did the Glock first, and that took all of forty minutes from start to finish functional firearm. Forty minutes. It was easy. And that included setting up the uh, drill press and uh, getting getting everything square, plumb, and level so we'd have nice concentric holes drilled into it. The nineteen eleven straight up took almost ten hours. Real talk, fitting all those parts, and it still didn't work. Once they all fit, the gun still didn't work. It would have a what's called a hammer fall, where the uh, hammer half cocks. And then um, essentially the gun is like deadlined um, at that point. So that was unfortunate. And that was the, 
flat spring bar, the one that's got like the little uh, finger hanging off of it. That mm -hmm. um, actually I had to remove uh, off of the, uh, you pop the main spring off and that thing's back there. I can't remember the exact name of it, but I actually, uh, the stirrup? oh man, I, <laughs> I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, it was, it was some years ago, but, uh, that it's, it's, uh, not to get into the weeds on building in 1911, but it's quite the process. It is quite the process. Nah, do and, it. Cause um, that's, that's how you, that that's really how you learn the platform, man. Like you, you I, that's, that's the whole reason that I went out and bought a rock Island was, you know, I've got my TRP operator and I'm not going to sit and tear that thing down. It shot well since I, I think I bought it in 2008, man. It, it shot well ever since then. I'm not going to tear the trigger down and, and take the hammer out and the sear and everything else. Ain't doing all that. But a Rock Island, a, a, you know, just a GI spec gun. Man, I you know I can really figure out the ins and outs of that platform and and start to learn it, you know. And that, that's the whole reason I did that, man. I think that's so cool that you built an eighty percent nineteen eleven, man. Yeah, thank you. It it was a lot of work, man. I mean, I was sitting there like a marathon. I did it all in one sitting, and man, it was a lot of work. So I just looked up the part, and that the part I'm talking about is the sear spring. And it's a flat bar that goes in the back strap behind the mainspring housing. And that mainspring housing is the little uh, piece that has the checkering on it on the back of the handgun. So that's actually, uh, if you, some guns are fit so well, I didn't know it was an actual separate part. I knew there was a hole in the bottom of it. Um, that actually comes out like a cassette. And there's actually a bunch of other yeah, little yeah. parts in it. Yeah, the flat mainspring, or you can get an arch mainspring housing, uh, depending on your grip, what kind of grip you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can fatten it up a little bit. I believe the both of the ones I have, I believe I have one flat and one arched. Mm -hmm. um, regardless, though, uh, yeah, that's, that's like a complete unit in of itself, which uh, was full of grease. And I mean, this, it took forever to get, I like, it, I mean, it cost me money building this gun because I went to the range a couple times to test it and it just flat out didn't work. And I just paid the range fee for no reason. Um, good thing I brought another gun. Bring another gun to the range when you test your hand-built 1911. Um, uh, luckily, though, um, the sights came zeroed from the factory, so I didn't have to touch the sights at all. They were lit, They were dead on with GI spec ammunition. They were dead nuts at 25 meters. Dead nuts. It was it was awesome. Um, or maybe maybe it was like 10 meters. Regardless though, they were dead on. So um, all those parts in the gun, every single one of those parts, you might have to file, fit, and finish a little bit. Every single one of them on the 1911. Yeah. And it is quite, it is quite the job. The um so uh so in terms of um how did the aluminum frame work out? It no problems with stretching or out of spec or anything like that. I mean it it just works it works perfectly fine. I mean it's 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 actually nice because you actually 
it's actually quite lighter and it balances differently, especially when you put the mag in it. It's quite nice. I'll bring it out next time I go shooting with the boys and you guys can, yeah. can test it out. And, um, oh. and then, uh, oh, go ahead. Well, I, I was just going to ask, man, not to, not to butt in. I lost you. What, what's the round count? On my Rock Island is probably like two or three thousand yeah. rounds, and on the and you don't have any issues with like frame cracking or anything like that. No, it seems to be holding up just fine. Nothing's peened or not, nothing's out of shape. No, no stretching on the on the receiver or anything like that. And I think it's really because cool. the forty five is a lower impulse for the round and the spring is quite strong on the 1911 if anybody's ever tried to disassemble one before you know that mm -hmm. yeah john browning loved his strong springs and his firearms man uh you know he yeah. did it on the yeah. he did it on the 50 cal he put in a strong spring i i would imagine that 1919 has a strong spring on it too and mm -hmm. and the the 1911 yeah. has a freaking strong ass mainspring um so the uh, the other um, one I have is a um, Springfield Armory TRP operator, and I would I would grade both guns. Um, the the fit I I I I'd imagine I got the fit pretty close to both of them because both the Rock Island appears to be as tight as the as the operator, um, and I was like file a little bit and polish a little bit and then try to fit it. And if it didn't fit, try again and just a little bit at a time. So, and that thing was on like the bleeding edge of functionality until I finally was like, all right, I need to speed things up here. I'm starting to get a headache and my hands were starting to hurt. And, um, and it wasn't, I didn't quite get it right because the spring, um, I had to bend the spring a little bit. The, um, sear spring i had to actually put a heck of a bend into it because i had hammer fall so if you have hammer fall on your 1911 it's because of your sear spring um and then i had to clean out the um main spring housing because it had some some machining oil or packing grease in it i'm not sure which one but it was uh it was binding and and not quite quite uh functioning properly um between both guns uh after shooting them for a long time and putting about two or 3000 rounds on each one. I used to go to Walmart and for like, for like a hundred bucks, I'd buy every white box of 45 they had. Those days are long over, but back in the day, that's what I used to do. And, um, so both guns I've put like a lot around quite a few rounds through. Um, and unfortunately they get really dirty and they seize up eventually. And I mean, completely seize up yeah. where the trigger is dead, like deadline. Yeah. You can't get the gun to do anything. And unfortunately that is uh, what you get when you design these weapons and they have these tight tolerances, because what happened is there was a point in the market where and i guess in the machining because why own two separate sets of of machine tools that the race gun became the standard these ultra tight 
highly accurized 1911s became the standard and everybody started making them. Well, the older ones, anybody that's ever held an older 1911 knows that you can actually shake those around and they actually rattle and it sounds kind of cool. But, um, but the new ones do not do that. And I imagine the older ones could be fired in strings of up to 10 or 20,000 rounds without a, without a malfunction. I know the newer ones will seize up on you after about 500 to 1,000 rounds, somewhere in there. Um, unless you're like heavily pouring oil into it and that's flushing the carbon out of it, um, then, then I imagine you're, you're doing all right. So what I had to do was I took the guns completely apart, super cleaned them. And I mean like deep cleaned them, you know, Q-tips into the um, holes where the extractor goes and the, and the, and the firing pin. And, uh, and then, but mostly on the frame, the, fr the frame was the dirtiest part, especially around the trigger. So the trigger is shaped like a, like a horseshoe that's closed off on the end. And it wraps, it actually wraps around the whole of the, of the magwell, which is why the trigger is so uh, crisp on, on those, on those, um, on those pistols. If you, if you want to get an idea of what I'm talking about, go ahead and look it up on, uh, on the internet and you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. I actually had to polish and deburr my um, triggers because the trigger bars kept getting so gummed up with carbon that they were deadlining the gun. So after the second time that happened, I decided to deburr them and then polish them. And I mean, like really polish them. Surprisingly, the Springfield operator was not polished at all. It actually had like a hard chrome look to it, hard, hard chrome finish to it, almost like it was a bead blasted stainless steel. And so I got them bright and shiny now, and I make sure to put plenty of oil on them, especially around the trigger bar. And another thing that uh, locks up is your mag release, which is unfortunate because, I mean, I had to like, I had to grab the plastic mallet and whack my mag release on multiple occasions. So if you're going to polish something up on the 1911, I recommend polishing up your uh your the the inside of the where your mag release goes the mag release itself and the trigger bar and making sure the area where the trigger bar rides um that like the guide for the trigger bar in the frame making sure that's clean because uh if you if you haven't cleaned yours in a while i i definitely take that thing for a functions check and make sure it's it's nice and lubed up with a lower viscosity. I'm sorry, a higher viscosity oil. CLP should do just fine. I wouldn't I wouldn't use anything too thick. And uh, and and that's that's been my experience. Both of my guns though are are more than functional. I've had no parts breakages. I've had no like rear sights just come flying off while I'm shooting. Um, once I set the zero on them, it never had to change the zero unless I switched ammunition types. And even then it's like almost dead on again, a testament to the, to the lower pressure, lower feet per second of the, of the 45 auto, because it's kind of more apples to apples when, when you're shooting. Um, one thing I do not recommend in your 1911, and I was watching a, um, 
video. I believe the guy is Modern Tactical Rifleman. And he's this uh, SF guy that does these little videos on YouTube. Yeah. And he was talking about oh, how they dusted oh, off. Yeah, he's, yeah, uh, he's a good dude, man. I believe that's his name. Yeah, he was him. talking about good. He was dude. talking about why they switched to the Glock in one of his videos, which I thought was like yeah. really interesting. That was pure gold because he was on the procurement team for special operations for that. And I was yeah. like, dude, this is fucking hot shit, man. Like I am watching this entire video twice, and I did. And he was talking about how they dusted off the old nineteen uh, elevens, and. Uh, they kept having um, uh, locking lugs or something breaking off of the guns and, and the uh, guns were uh, deadlining. So that is a function of the design, not so much so a flaw in the weapon. You c I would not recommend putting plus P ammo through your 1911 unless it is rated for plus P ammo. Because you will shear those locking lugs in the top of the well, in the top of the slide. I, I don't really understand why you would do that anyway, but that, that's yeah. Just, I, I I don't know. People uh, unless it's people for some things. some large game hunting application. I, yeah, I don't I don't I don't think that but, makes much sense or dangerous game. I mean, I I, I believe it. I absolutely believe that it, it would break, and it's probably. In the design, it was probably a safety mechanism so that it, it's kind of like um, on a, a piece of heavy equipment, you have a shear pin. If something yeah. so like a like a piece of machinery that relies on specific timing to work. And if if one component's out of time, it'll shear that pin off as to make right. sure it doesn't beat itself to death. It, it, it's just a right. safety mechanism. And that's probably what the design is. It, it, it's, you know, it. it um you know, I, I don't know. And uh, that is fascinating. I, I haven't watched that video of his, although uh, big shout out to Tactical Rifleman channel uh, out there, because I think he's he's one of the very, very few on YouTube that's actually worth watching when it comes to firearms stuff. Um, he's he's actually pretty good. Paul, Paul Harrell is another one who's just excellent. Um, he and, and I like his laid back approach to very serious things. He's not trying to be a cool guy. He's just, he's like, hey, all right, here it is. You know, kind of every man kind of, kind of deal with him. I, th I think that's awesome. But um, what was the, just out of curiosity, what, what was the reasoning aside from uh, the locking lug sharing? What was some of the other reasons that they found when they, uh, they went to the Glock, and specifically, it was a Glock 19, correct? Yeah, yeah, I believe it. I, I, uh, I believe they did buy some 19s, and some. I, I don't think they could source as many 19s as they wanted because GWAT had just kicked off, and everybody was buying everything. Yeah. Um, but one of the primary reasons they switched to it is, if I recall correctly. Because of the clandestine 18 Foxtrot guys running around in pairs in non-permissive environments, they needed a high-capacity, modern 9mm um, that could be concealed easily for, uh, you know, infill and extraction details and, and yeah. general clandestine hot hotness. And... Um, it just kind of translated from 
we're not buying you two different guns, you know, pick one. And that's the one you're sticking with. And, um, and yeah, so that's, that's, uh, if I recall correctly, that was the correct answer. So a little bit of bureaucracy and a little bit of badass going on there. Yeah. One of the things they found with that, with the Glock system, and this was, this was something that was pointed out, um, Oh, uh, Vickers pointed out when they were talking about the, comparing the different guns in desert in, environments. He said the Glock 21 would have done a lot better if it had had the, the hole uh, in the bottom of the grip filled with, with the plugs that they make now because apparently uh, that real fine talcum powder dust got up in, in there um, and, and caused a lot of issues. Um, that was, and that's something, you know, that I have every Glock I have, I have, I have that, uh, that plug hole filled. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, because people say, oh, well, you can't put the lanyard on it. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> do I think a, la- do, do I think a lanyard ha- can have a purpose? Yes, I do. Certain circumstances, I would say, okay, you know. It might be a good idea to be able to have that dummy corded in, in a way that it, it can't come. But I'm not an MP, um, and I don't have I don't have a Ooh. hangman's noose around my neck in garrison. Who has a lanyard on a weapon? Like the, yeah. what? The, I don't well, honestly. Er- I don't, that's some epic pogue bullshit right there. I, I run a lanyard. That used to be. Like, that used to be a thing uh, in in early two thousands. Guys saw some people with those, and and they they started putting them on. I mean, I you know I I had a lanyard on mine when I was canoeing. <laughs> I run a lanyard on mine and a sling. <laughs> and and not even sling. kidding. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> not even kidding. The man is not kidding. Yeah. Wow. You have you have the forward grip on yours too, right? No, that would be in any other weapon. No, <laughs> that sir. would that would that would be an AOW. No, no, no. It's it's a it's an extra. It's a it's a mag holder, so it's not a it's not an actual pistol grip. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, not trying to get my dog shot. Yeah, yeah well, man. I like you know, as far as the the first Glock I ever owned was in nineteen eighty nine. 90 and there was an issue with it was a 17 and the issue that i had with it after putting about 800 rounds through it trigger pull started getting really hard and i was i mean to the point where it was like trying it started feeling like a like a uh a phalo the the heavy barrel fal which feels like sometimes like it has like a 25 or 30 pound trigger pull yeah Um, so I I just happened to end up, I talked to a buddy of mine who worked in a local sheriff's department who had just gone to the Glock Armors course. And I told him about the problem I was having. And I said, you know, I I ended up, I completely disassembled the slide and I cleaned out the uh, the firing pin uh, uh, channel and, and that cleared it up. He said, yeah, he said they found there was an issue with it. He said they have a new, an upgraded version of the, uh, the cups that, that retain the retention cups 
that retained the firing pin in the channel. And he said, if you want, he said, I can go, you bring it, bring it to me and I'll, I'll go ahead and swap it out for free. Cause I get all the free Glock parts I want as a Glock armor. So that's what we did. And I've never had a problem with it, with it since. That's the only Glock I ever had that issue with. That was an early Glock. But for people that might have a, a an older Glock, you know, from the early, uh, early nineties, that's something, uh, if, if you have that issue, you might want to look into number one, you learn how to, it's not hard to disassemble the, the, a Glock completely. So all the parts in the slide, all the parts in the, in the frame, it's not hard to do. You can, you can easily find out how to do it online. Um, the, uh, but that was where that issue was. And you can use a 22 caliber bore brush to clean that, that channel out. But also look at the same time, look at maybe upgrading the, uh, the cups. There's, it's a, it's a split cup. They have two different types. One type is perforated. It was designed for being able to fire the gun or, uh, operate the gun underwater. Um, because it would actually, it would allow water to go back and forth through that channel surrounding the firing pin and be able to continue to function. Whereas the solid cup wouldn't allow it to work and it, it, it ended up hindering. I mean, I've never actually fired a pistol underwater, but I mean, Hey, you know, what if you're a super underwater commando and you're feeling skippy and Jet Li happens to be in your movie. I mean, you know, it might be something you might want to consider. Your bullet will go all of like six inches. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, but it depends on who six inches you're talking. It depends on who six inches yeah. you're talking about, dude. <laughs> the, dude, sound travels four wow. times faster underwater. You would be so deaf, dude. <laughs> well, the the blast overpressure would would rupture your eardrums. It's just dumb. Every I'm time just, people I, say I, that, I just thought it was funny. The Glock actually, the Glock actually made it to, now. Here's what I think it was. I think it was designed for marine marine operations in case your weapon got submerged. It was but yeah. but I was told, oh, this is for firing underwater. I was like, okay. Um I, I think for it's what? like I said, for the uh, operating in mean, marine environments. Darts or something? Like what do you, you know? uh, it, it could be one of those, those high speed Soviet Soviet weapons that you know they had everybody scared with. Uh, you know, you know what I like. I like the story of the um best ranger competition where that those that team lost their Glock, one of their Glocks, and then like four years later, some dude's crawling through the same mud puddle, and he just comes up with a Glock in his hand, and he's like, "Oh fuck yeah, I'm gonna use this the rest of the match," and he did, and it ran fine. <laughs> That's a great yeah. story right there. No, I mean, like, like I said, I mean, I, my everyday carry is, is a Gen 3 Glock 19 specifically. Um, you know, I've got a couple of them. They are pretty much interchangeable with one another, you know, with a, a couple of very minor differences. Um, I have a, you know, and, and but that's, that's not really the, the point that I'm getting at because, I mean, it's it's not really about EDC necessarily, um, but with a 1911, here's one point, like like my one thing about 1911s and 45s specifically. Um, the 
subsonic performance. All right. The 45 is inherently a subsonic round, always will be, was designed as such. Performs very well suppressed. Um, you know, arguably the best platform to fire the 45 out of. I know, I know the Glock 21, I get it. You know, had a Springfield XD in 45 for a little while. That was a very nice handgun as well. But that I will take a if if I'm carrying a 45, 1911 outperforms in my hands. Me being a shooter, me being a well-seasoned trigger puller, pretty good at it. Train people professionally to shoot as well. Um, I am a much better shooter with a 1911 in 45 than I am with any polymer-framed handgun. It's just a fact. Yes, I am. Okay, me. That's me. Maybe not you. I don't know. You know, I maybe maybe not all of you out there listening. Whatever. Hey, cool. You know, you do you. But the 1911 in a 45 performs better if I am shooting 45s. Okay. Um. Now there's arguments for you know 1911s and nine millimeter and other calibers. Hey, that's all good and well. I mean, it, you know, if, if you want to do that as a hobby, that's fine. But if, you know, if I'm shooting a, a 9 millimeter, well, I've got a Glock. You know, like, that's... I just, I look at it like they're, they're tools in the toolbox. Um, you know, you, you have to understand the ins and outs. And um, with, with the 1911, there are certainly a lot of ins and outs that you need to understand. There are some decent... You know, I would say lower tier budget entry level handguns that we've already talked about on this show uh, that that people that want to get into the platform. And I think that there's a lot of reasons that, that you should mainly because I mean, it's the same reason that people keep buying Harley Davidson's. You know, it, it's if you want a motorcycle, there's better motorcycles out there. If, if you want a cruiser, there's better cruisers out there. Than, than what you're going to get with a Dynaglide. But people still buy Harley Davidsons and they still buy older Harley Davidsons. They're still sought after because there's, there's a lot to be said. I mean, you can, you can learn a platform. It's something to tinker with. It's something that can become a hobby. It's not necessarily always going to be a defensive tool, but it can be, you know? And, and so I think like for me, what I'm trying to say is, is that 1911 more than anything else for me is a labor of love. It is a platform that I absolutely love to shoot. I am very, very good with it. The 45, I, I mean, anybody that questions, uh, you know, the effectiveness of a 45 really has never seen the effectiveness of a 45. But the same could be said of, of 9 millimeter. I mean, um, I can tell you, you know, personal experience, 9 millimeter w- works very effectively. Even in, uh oh, wait for it. Even in full metal jacket. Oh, yeah, what? because it can. Yeah, it. it now shot placement's yep. critical. I, I'm gonna caveat that yep. with shot placement is critical. Follow up shot placement is critical. You know that that first round probably not gonna put somebody down. But then again, 40, first round out of a 45 is probably not gonna put somebody out of the fight either. Um, unless you just drop it right in their face and one in a million shot, which is if 
if you can pull that off in a gunfight, man, more power to you there, uh, you know, yeah. gunslinger Joe. Because yeah, that... explaining that to the police. Because <laughs> yeah. that, that just ain't reality, man. It just ain't reality. Um, but, I mean, you know, for me, like, people get so wound around the axle, they think, like, all right, so every firearm that you buy has to be justified with some kind of per, you know purpose behind it, or or you know like I'm gonna do this with it, or I mean, man, you know like maybe you ought to just buy some stuff because you want it, you know like this is America, you should buy some things because you want it. Like, yep. the 1911 is an American icon, and it is a firearm that I think if if you're an American gun owner and and you're an American trigger puller should have one just to, to learn the platform and, and have an appreciation for it. It's a piece of art. It's a piece of history. It's an engineering marvel uh, coming up in an era where we were still using revolvers, uh, very widespread. It, it's, it's just a cool firearm. And, and uh, the fact that they're still out there, the fact that you can still find them in service, the fact that it has such a big following in other parts of the world, like the Philippines, because Rock Island Armory is is uh, made in the Philippines, and they have a huge 1911 following there, which is is really really awesome. And their craftsmanship in their firearms it, it really shows as well. Um, what say y'all? Yeah, I agree with them as far as them. They're uh, they make they make good stuff for on the cheap. But it's not cheap, um, and there's you know there's a difference. You know, it's just like Condor stuff used to be really crappy, and then they realized you know people weren't buying their stuff again, and they they upgraded it a little bit and over the years, and you know it, it's uh, some things are good, some things aren't. But uh, I mean, you know, I have four different compact forty fives. I have an AMT backup. A XDS 45, a uh, that micro compact and a Glock 30. Of all of them, that micro compact is the most accurate pistol. I ha- and as far as you know, for for feeling comfortable carrying, you know, I've carried a 1911 a lot over the years, and but it's about training too because you're inv- it's involving having to manipulate a safety. Um, but yeah, the 45 is is. Uh, I, I never would feel under a gun carrying a 45, and I agree with the sub subsonic. You know that's that's a normal load, and uh, <laughs> I mean it was what was what was the term they used? It was supposed to the round was supposed to be able to founder a horse when they originally designed the, the cartridge because they were yeah. using 38s. And yeah, yeah. Because they said the Moro tribesmen were all high, and uh, they would shoot them you know, five or six times with a 38 that wasn't affecting them. So they wanted to be able well, to, you know. That's where the term knockdown <laughs> power comes from because they were right. also using tortoise shells. They were yeah. also using tortoise shells as armor, as improvised armor. And, and ironically, that's the Philippines. Punch it through it. <laughs> yeah. If, if you think about yeah. it. <laughs> they were, yep. uh, that that was the Philippines. That's like making Crusader yep. long swords in the Middle East. <laughs> yeah, man. So um, <laughs> sticking it to them. So yeah, uh, yeah. my grandfather was in the Philippines when they switched over to the forty-five, and he he said 
straight shooting that that was accurate. They also used to wrap their arms in tourniquets before they would get into a fight. Um, so you had to get like a good hit on them. And, uh, oh, and they'd come they'd come out of the woods like a wild man with swords and spears right in the middle of your patrol. And it, everybody would just be like shooting in all directions. It sounds fucking wild. The um, <laughs> imagine. Can you imagine the um, and they, it must be like swords too, the wavy blade sword. But it must be like uh, it must be like Europe is today. I wouldn't know. I've never been to <laughs> Europe. <laughs> anyway, it's like the streets of france <laughs> one minute left on the clock man it, you know lively discussion on 1911s um hope that it's been educational i know it was for me just talking about building them is is just really cool it's like custom bikes and um working on your truck and anything else it's a, it, it it's it's a labor of love man um it's it's all good stuff. You know, moral of the story, folks, get out there, do something that you enjoy. Life isn't all doom and gloom. Like you shouldn't let life beat you down nonstop. Get out there, do something you, you enjoy that is a labor of love. It also has some sort of other purpose as well. Anyway, folks, um, it has been awesome to be with you on this Thursday. We're going to be uh, live again this coming Thursday. It'll be Monday. Thursday right before Easter and uh, looking forward to being on the air with all of you out there. So for my colleagues here in the Green Dragon Tavern, last call for alcohol. Gentlemen, it has been great to be with you and of course all of you out there joining us for this live show. May God bless you. Continue to stay the course. Continue to stay engaged. Don't get black-pilled. Stay grounded, keep it local, keep it sane, keep it disciplined. This is NC Scout, out.